You know, when it comes to following Jesus, there are no 50 shades of grey. God who called us out of darkness did so so that we may live a life worthy of his calling so that we would be a light to the nation so that we would live an extraordinary life. Amen? And the opening verse of our passage, Ephesians 5 verse 8, tells us that. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The change that takes place when you move into becoming a follower of Jesus is as different as day is to light as as dark as sorry difference is day is to night uh, as light is to darkness the surprise here though is that before Christ we were described not only walking in darkness but being darkness that is without hope without Christ uh, we saw that description from Ephesians earlier on with Tim And when we come to Jesus in the light, our life is hid with him so that we're not only called to walk in the light, we are light. Uh, not Not like the light of the sun, but the light of a moon, a beautiful moon. And you know all of that light comes from where? Where does the light from the moon come from? From the sun. It's all reflected glory. That's why I've got my glasses on because if I take it off, woo! Look at all that light beaming out at me. (laughs) Metaphorically speaking. (laughs) There you are, gorgeous. Uh, It's a bit like that uh, quote I love of a refugee who said to a, a believer who invested time, love, and shared the good news of Jesus. The refugee said of this believer, if your God is anything like you, I want to worship him. Because I see the beauty of your God in you. Point one, we are, as followers of Jesus, called to walk in the light as he is in the light. So in verse 5, verse 8b, chapter 5, verse 8b, we read, Live, literally walk, as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Um, All of those three words reflect the beautiful character of our God. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit in summary. Now, you and I, we can't imitate God in many ways. You know, he's all-knowing, you're not. He's present everywhere, we're not. He he is all-powerful, we're not. But there's one area where we can be like God, and that's his character. In fact, we're called to be. He's to reflect his goodness, his truthfulness, his righteousness. I met a man who'd come to Jesus, the light of the world, and God had done a beautiful work. He'd been in a... He'd been in, uh, in a relationship with his boyfriend for five years. So they had a same-sex relationship for five years. And then he met Jesus and the Spirit had convicted him uh, to put that away. And then he said he wanted to be disciples. So I caught up with him for a couple of months. At the end of about two months, he said to me, I said to him, Steve, what's the hardest thing about being a follower of Jesus? Now, you can probably guess what he was going to say, right? Walking away from the boyfriend that he loved for five years. Nope. Quick as a flash, he said, oh, Ray, that's easy, greed. I've been a pastor for 32 years. I've only ever had one person confess the sin of greed. God had transformed him. Steve had come to the light, had become light, and now was bearing the fruit of that light, righteousness, and he was being transformed. Now, the danger is when you become a follower of Jesus, somehow 
you know, you think, oh, well, I've got to do some good things, you know, these kind of abstract virtues. But what you've got to understand is we live out our Christian life always, always in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus. Never forget that. Otherwise, you'll reduce Christianity to another religion. And that's why Paul at this point says in verse 10, now remember, verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. That's almost a great summary response to the God's salvation. Now, it's not like uh, non-believers don't do good. Of course they do. We, we experience and enjoy it all the time. My brother-in-law, who I love to quote, is a beautiful guy, Mick. He's, a, he's an atheist who loves my sister so well. In fact, he puts a lot of us Christian husbands to shame, and we've got the Spirit of God. Um, but let me tell you, um, he does not want to please the Lord. He has absolutely no interest in pleasing the Lord. Because he doesn't believe in the Lord. All of those good works fall to the ground. They're not done in the context of relationship. Whereas someone like C.T. Studd, whose picture's on the screen right now, uh, or will be fairly soon, C.T. Studd was the former vice captain of the, of the English cricket team centuries ago. And he turned his back on fame and, uh, and wealth to serve the cause of Christ in India, China, and in Africa. And one day his co-worker noticed that his light was on late into the night. So the next morning he asked him why. And, and C.T. Said, said, I was working my way through the New Testament to see whether there was a command of Jesus I wasn't following. Wow. There's a man who has a proactive commitment to pleasing the Lord. It's a great privilege, isn't it, as a follower of Jesus, that we get to put a smile on the face of God. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not about earning God's approval. Oh, no. If you think somehow your good works are trying to buy you a place in heaven, then you'll manipulate God. No, no. This is about expressing to God your thankfulness for saving you through his death and resurrection. The God who chose us and adopted us and forgave us and, 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 and sealed us with his spirit. You know, if someone were to put a billion dirham into your bank account, what's going to be your response towards that person? I just want to say thank How can I show my gratitude to you? Find out what pleases the Lord. So when you gave towards the offertory earlier in the service, were you mindful of putting a smile on the face of God, whether you do it online or you know, as, as the bag went round, it doesn't matter. But however you did it, you know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. It actually puts a smile on his face, as does every obedient choice you make. So examine your choices with an eye to please the Lord. And that involves actively rejecting darkness. Verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. We're to be in the world, but not of it. I always say the boat's got to be in the water, but the water mustn't be in the boat. <laughs> um, we've got to decide to swim against the current of this world and not with it. We decide either every day to either look or look away. Do we not? That's our choice to contribute to or withdraw from that conversation that's starting to be marked by gossip or slander, by blasphemy or crude humour, to stay in or to step out of a relationship that's heading for an illicit sexual relationship in a bed. You know, many who battle with addictions will tell you the only way they stay clean is because they've learnt 
those people who influence them for ill need to be dealt with in their, they need to manage them in their life because if you don't, they will influence you more than you're influencing them and they will drag you down into the dirt. You know, as God's people, just being who you are, walking with Jesus, will functionally expose the light. I remember talking to, uh, hearing of one lady, she spent a whole day with a group of uh, disciples, followers of Jesus. And at the end of it, she said to her friend, man, when I'm with them, I feel like I'm such a sinner. And I thought to myself, is that because they were like judgmental? No. It was because the light of God's love and truth had just so overflowed, it just so exposed what she was like. It attracted, it was attractive to her, but it was convicting her at the same time. She knew that they were in the light and she wasn't. Your light exposes the deeds of darkness, the choices you make, the way you live, the way you carry yourself, your priorities. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're taking him seriously, you functionally do stand out. And that's why you ought not to expect everyone to always receive it well. Why? Because you're the face of God. And the face of God will always prick someone's conscience. That's why everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. It's not a popular promise from God, but it's a very important one. I know we like John 3.16 a whole lot more, God so loved the world, uh, but that's a very important promise. Anyone who wants to live a godly life, anyone who wants to walk in the light as he is in the light will be persecuted. Okay, That's not in the fine print on page 32 of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus put that up front on page one. But light also transforms. It just doesn't expose. And I think that's what verses 13 and 14 are about. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The idea is that light not only exposes sin, it actually transforms sinners. I'll give you an example. There was a, a, an atheist guy I knew who um, was into highbrow, highbrow philosophy, and, uh, and he said, Ray, I want to talk to you about Christian philosophy. I said, I, don't, I know a little bit about philosophy, not a lot, but let's do it, as long as we get to read the Bible as well. He said, sure. Anyway, after we spent some time, he started to be really convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and that he did rise from the dead. He said, I think the evidence is in favor of those conclusions. I said, fantastic. What's stopping you from following Jesus? He said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. <laughs> but I said, I do know this. Because there was a famous preacher that he started to like. I said, that preacher that you like, he once said this. He said, in the 30 years of serving in university and doing university ministry, he'd only ever met one person who he truly believed couldn't follow Jesus for intellectual reasons. That is, what he was saying was this. Everyone else, really, whatever reasons they give, at the end of the day, the reasons why we don't want to follow Jesus, because there's some sin in our life we don't want to give up on. Well, I just said that to him, right? And uh, I didn't know where that was going to land. And he looked at me as though I knew every secret of everything he'd ever done. He just looked at me like, how do you know? And then he started to tell me one of those secrets. And it was simply that he was a man who um, liked going into adult bookshops and accessing sadistic videos of women in bondage. And I learned something very important that day. You know, there he was. Here we were talking highbrow German philosophy. 
But the reason why he really didn't want to come to Jesus is because he enjoyed watching women being whipped. Wow. The light had shone and Christ had awakened him from his spiritual death in that very moment. And he accepted Christ and turned away from such evil things. The light exposed him and then it transformed him. Wake up, sleeper! Sorry for you shift workers out there taking a little of that. You've been doing it hard for the last 12 hours. You've just come. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You know, whenever we gather, you know, it's, I, I, I imagine Jesus walking around uh, because we always have visitors with us and he's waking up people who aren't followers of Jesus, waking you up from your spiritual sleep. And he's saying, you wake up now. It's time to see me in all my glory and I will shine my light upon you. Point one, let us walk in the light as he is in the light. Point two, um, we walk in the light by walking in wisdom. We pick it up in verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. To walk in the light is to choose to live wisely. You know, think about wisdom. It always begins with the fear of the Lord. And it's always about wanting to live a life without regret. So that when you get to the end of your life, you'll look back and say, gee, I'm glad I did that. Gee, I'm glad I didn't do that. And with all the mistakes, of course, Jesus says, I'll remember your sins no more. Don't forget that. <laughs> and what the writer is saying, what Paul is saying here, what God is saying to us here is, pay close attention to how you walk in this age that's trying to constantly pull you down into the dirt. And how do you do that? Know the Lord's will. That's the last line, isn't it? Understand what the Lord's will is. Now, you're probably thinking this is about personal guidance. Who shall I marry? What job shall I take? And that's very important. But this is more than that. This is really asking the bigger question, what is God's will in all of my life, for all of my life? How do I please the Lord? Answer, just keep reading the Bible. Let's look at the next verse, verse 18. And this is what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Oh, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Two big, strong commands hitting you in the next section. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, by the way, in case you're wondering, don't get drunk on wine doesn't mean you've got permission to get drunk on vodka. <laughs> I'm watching. Wine is a gift from the Lord. Jesus produced 600 litres of the very best in the wedding of Cana. I personally don't like it. If I was at the wedding of Cana, I might have been a bit disappointed and asked for Diet Sprite, but that's me. <laughs> but there's no light. There is never, ever any wisdom for those who drink to excess and carry the name follower of Jesus. It only brings shame and dishonour. Here's a tip for you. You ready for it? You won't know that you've got a problem with alcohol. You actually need others to tell you. And when they do, listen. And if you get into a fight about it, you've pretty much got a problem. <laughs> the damage it does. I went to an AA meeting once and a lady spoke, at Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and she talked about how I've lived two lives. My first life was lived with alcohol ruling it. And I thought to myself, what we're told here is, Find out what pleases the Lord. 
Let the spirit of Christ rule instead of the spirit of Jack Daniels. <laughs> be filled with the spirit. Filled, be filled literally by the spirit, I think. It's the only time, in the, only time this command is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, and it's, it's given in the present tense, that is, can continually be filled with the Spirit and by the Spirit. And, and so that's not just referring to one specific second blessing. It's doing much more than that. It's actually saying this is for every Christian all the time. I need to be filled by the Spirit now, 10 minutes from now, Thursday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Saturday at 8 a.m. I need to be filled by the Spirit. Now, we're always sealed by the Spirit. He's going nowhere, right? He's made our bodies his own. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and he will raise us up on the last day. But the point here is that constant need to, to depend on the Spirit of God as we seek to please him and find out what, what it means to please the Lord. You know why? Because our souls constantly need to be refreshed. No one lives in a constant state of joy and thanksgiving. I mean, there might be three of you, but for the rest of us, we go up and down in life. And what this means is we take a posture of being prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit, very conscious awareness that I can't do it. I can't do the Christian life on my own. God doesn't abandon us to the law of God and says, go and do it. I've saved you now. No, no, he not only sent his son, he sent his spirit. The Christian life's not like a rowboat where you've got to strain all the time to get anywhere. No, it's not all about just about you. Nor is it like a powerboat, you know, start their engine, vroom, then take off, Ooh, let go and let God. It's more like a yacht where you throw out the sail and catch the wind, the spirit, and keep in step with the spirit. It's a joint activity between us and God. Being filled with the spirit. Actually, there's a parallel verse in Colossians 3, and it's exactly the same except for the beginning. In Ephesians, it says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, it says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. But they're actually then talk. both of them talk about singing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and so forth. So they end exactly the same. But the first part focuses in on a different person of the Trinity. So if you bring them together, I think what it's saying is this. Let the word of Christ, the gospel of grace... Rule through, your, through the Holy Spirit that he may empower you to do the Lord's will and put a smile on his face. We know that because to be filled with the Spirit it begins a very long sentence. And I want to read it to you and look at all the things of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Verses 18 to 21. Now I've highlighted the four things in the, in the uh, slide. Next slide, please. Thank you. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. We've seen that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay. Now, what does that look like? Four things. One, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Two, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Three, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Four, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It was really nice until that last bit, wasn't it? Be filled with the Spirit. Sing, proclaim, thank. I'll oh, submit. Oh. <laughs> now, more of that next week, but I want to just quickly walk through those four particip they're participles, verbal nouns. Speaking to one another in songs. Look at the summary. Let's look at a quick summary. 
speaking to one another in songs, singing and making music to the Lord, giving thanks to God for all things, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ah, so first thing, as we sing, you know what we're doing? You know that first bracket of songs that was so encouraging? We're actually teaching, proclaiming to each other the word of God. Did you know that? So we're not just singing to God, we're singing to each other about God. We're actually preaching to each other. That's right. I'm not the only preacher here today. We all are. Remember the, the word ministry to unleash God's people for works of ministry? In our singing, we're actually teaching each other the word of God, encouraging each other. On Sunday, we all, we're, all, we're all preachers. Two, as we sing, we're blessing God. We're blessing him from the heart. We're giving thanks to him. Um, we're blessing others. So we're blessing God. We're blessing others. We're blessing ourselves. You know, God has the right to be praised. You know, when I come to church, I don't always feel like praising God. And I know I'm not alone. Especially if the song's not to my liking or I can't get into it or whatever. Um, but you know what? There are 50 commands to sing. <laughs> So I need to get out of my head and do that. <laughs> and what often happens is, you know what? I start to do what God wants me to do, and then all of a sudden, my affections catch up with him. And so when we're singing, we're, we kind of do the vertical and the horizontal, which, by the way, is exactly what happens in heaven. We sing to God, and we sing to each other about God before a watching world. And you know what singing does? It bonds us together. It's, you know, so we've decided this morning that we're going to come together. Then we do the Lord's Supper. We eat it together in remembrance of Christ. Then we sing together the same words about the same Jesus. And you know what it does? Apparently it sends off certain endorphins in your head that, that kind of uh, suppress feelings of anxiety, which you can tell even the way God made our brain, we were built to sing together. What a good God. But I love the fact that singing nurtures our affections. The guy who wrote that song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, sorry about that, um, <laughs> he, 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 he said this. Here's a quote from uh, Yarburg, I think is his name. I, I might have pronounced that. Harburg, Harburg. And he said this, Words make you think a thought. Music makes you feel a feeling. But a song makes you feel a thought. It's beautiful, isn't it? That when I'm thinking Jeho uh, J uh, Jira, you know, and, and then, you, and then you, the tune carries the words, the words that, uh, um, you know, forever, forever enough, always enough. Exactly right. More than enough. And my heart and my mind and our hearts and our mind align as we lift up the name of God. You're fantastic, God, and we love you. Yaku, our operations director, says that some Christians need to feel more when they sing. Other Christians need to think more when they sing. Work out which one you are. Now, you, you might have been told somewhere, maybe by a, a, a teacher at school, that you can't sing and you're not going to be in the choir. <laughs> and I tell you, especially guys, I, I did a Bible study once with a group of guys. Every one of those guys did not like singing at church. And you know why? Because someone's told them they couldn't sing when they were a kid. Well, let me tell you, God is saying you can sing. There's 50 commands in the Bible to sing. <laughs> so don't deny him his praise. He's worth it. Give him, let's give him he, our, our undivided attention. 
off the phones, and let's sing to God in heaven. And don't deny the saints the encouragement. Because, you know, I was hearing you sing this morning. It was so ministered to myself. You encourage me when you sing. I encourage you when I sing. And I'm not a good singer, but I know it kind of gets lost in the, the collective sound. So we all collectively sound great, even if individually we mightn't have great voices. <laughs> That's a comfort. Because we've all watched American Idol. <laughs> and, and then thirdly, giving thanks for all things. You know, if you constantly complain as a Christian, you, you've probably got more a spirit of bitterness than the spirit of God at that point. It's very ugly for a Christian who is light, who is in a state of constant ungratefulness. Now, we're all a bit ungrateful here and there, but if, you, if that's your general posture, it's not pretty for a Christian. But confession time. A couple of months ago, I go to do to get my telephone, my phone organised. There's some problems. There's some problems again. I go to them for the second, third time. I'm getting a bit frustrated. The tone of my voice sounds like I'm frustrated. It starts to escalate a little bit in my voice. I can tell. I can tell when I, I grumpy old man syndrome. Anyway, I catch myself out. The spirit of God convicts me, and I say to this lovely Filipino's uh, attendant, she was so good. I said. Look, I'm so sorry. I've, I've, I've sound, I'm, being, I'm, I'm causing you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a bad day. I'm, I'm grumpy. I'm frustrated. I just want to need to apologize. She said, that's all right. I said, does it often happen? Yes, it often happens, but that's okay. She's so gracious. And then it happened. The thing that a pastor fears most of all in those moments. What do you do for a job? Oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Oh, really? That's good. Oh, where's your church? Uh, next door at Two Seasons. Would you like to come? <laughs> you know, my, my lack of gratefulness just undercut my ability to invite her to church. But she was more gracious than I was godly. And then lastly, submit to one another. You want to, be, you want to know someone who's filled with the Spirit? When you watch them putting others before themselves seven days a week, that's the real evidence that they're filled with the Spirit. Let me picture two gatherings. When I lived back in Sydney, Australia, I lived in a house. Next door was the church. In between was a grass patch, a quite a large grass patch. And on Sunday morning, there were a number of gatherings that took place. At about 1 a.m. on Sunday morning, after the pubs had closed, a group of people would come. Uh, they were filled with the spirit of Johnny Walker in them. And they were gathered, singing, laughing. It could almost look like church, ex except for the fact that uh, within an hour, they were swearing and abusing and vandalizing. I tell you, in 25 years, I must have called the police about 60 times, right? Partly to protect themselves, protect them from themselves, and partly to protect the property. That was one gathering. It, then they'd go off at about 2 o'clock to sleep off their, their hangover the next morning. At about 8 o'clock that morning, the first of our congregations would gather, filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They would come gathering to speak to one another in words of encouragement as they sang about how amazing God's grace is. They came to sing to God how wonderful it was that he sent his son. They came to build each other up and encourage each other. And they came to serve one another for Jesus' sake. And from this vantage point, I, and I, I reflected on those many Sundays and I thought, 
Two gatherings, one marked by light, one darkness. One filled with wisdom, one filled with foolishness. One filled with the Spirit of God, one filled with the Spirit of Jack Daniels. <laughs> Two very different worlds. And I know, I've been in both worlds. And I thank God that he transformed me and transferred me from one to the other. And all before a watching world. It's always before a watching world. You know that, don't you? I remember a 15-year-old teenager giving his testimony at church. And he said, you know what started me considering Christianity? It was when someone invited me to church for the first time. And I looked around and I saw the way people sung. And they sang like they meant it. As though Jesus were real, like he were alive. That was the turning point. Our singing is ministry. So can I encourage you, friends? Um, would the person next to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and say the person next to you wasn't a follower of Jesus, would they actually think Jesus was alive by virtue of how you were singing? Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's walk in the light together as he is in the light. Uh, let us repent of being passive, silent consumers when we gather in the name of our glorious Saviour. And let's do it for Jesus' sake because he deserves it. Let's do it for the sake of each other that we encourage each other. And let's do it before a watching world who are often present in our gatherings so that, in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, when they come, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, wow, God is really among you. And brothers and sisters, I want to say, that's exactly how I feel every time we gather at fellowship. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we want to praise you for sending your dear son. Let your light shine through us, that we may reflect your beautiful character, his goodness, his truthfulness, his righteousness. Let your spirit make us wise. Let us walk in the light as you are in the light. And let us keep on doing by your spirit, your good and pleasing will. And as we gather as your people, Lord, may we never forget the privilege it is to praise your name, filled with thankful hearts. May we encourage each other, to serve each other and all for Jesus' sake, for the sake of each other and for the sake of our visitors, that they may be able to say once and for all, God is really among you. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.